Elvis. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Rocker, you are a wild, fragile thing. It's okay to be both at once. It's actually a pretty incredible way to be when balanced and harnessed correctly. It's the same quality that Kate Bush and Bjork have that gives them such a devoted following. And it's what people will like about your own music someday, too. If you were a song, you'd probably be Wuthering Heights. And if you were a horse, you'd be an Arabian. So smart that you can figure out how to unlock yourself from your stall. But once you get out there in the open wilderness you crave, you scare yourself with your own shadow and break a delicate leg trying to run away from it. This is going to be a tough year. I know you're probably like, uh, yeah, what's new? Well, it's going to be tougher than ever. You're about to enter the period of your life I refer to as the time in which no rock occurred. Playing music in a band is more than just a hobby for you. It's something you can't not do. The rock of your life is rock. It's what keeps you grounded, and without it, the strong currents that constantly swirl through your mind can sweep you away, as you'll soon find out. As much as medicine can support you as you fight your demons, music is the one thing that can always get your neurons firing in a way that allows your brain's true power and potential to overcome the potential for darkness all of us sensitive, creative types struggle with. You'll learn eventually, though. You'll learn. Me and Dan pull up in my mom's car to the old cider mill building in Sterling and start unloading our stuff onto the grass patch in front. It's just about across the street from the church where I played my first show ever with Ricky, Fred, and Nick. Now me and Dan and Ricky are standing out in front of the old mill building, all wearing sport coats and khakis. For some reason, we decided to match. I think we've got the idea from that band, the Presidents of the United States of America. No one's really here to watch, except for a couple of our friends who live nearby. We play the songs we've been playing for what feels like forever. I'm kind of sick of them. I don't really think about it as my hands go through the motions of the songs and add in little bass fills between notes. I feel a little irritated and my hands seem to do more and more. My voice comes out of my mouth on its own now. I hardly think about it when I sing. Get out of my way. I wrote the song. Get out of my way. Don't sing along. I'm almost proud of myself for how good I've gotten at these songs. But what's the point? This is our last show. Afterwards, I drive over to Dan's house. We sit on the couch in the back living room. 
He slowly slides on his back down to the floor until he's fully laying down. He says he can't sit on couches because he has no butt to hang on with. I get down next to him. I put my arm over his chest and we kiss. I'm so happy to be rid of Ricky. To finally be with someone I want to be with. So why do I feel like I'm gonna cry? I think of myself as a wild Mustang. It's cheesy, I guess, but whenever I feel like something or someone is potentially threatening my freedom to do what I want to do, I get angry. I have the urge to kick out at anyone who comes near me. I imagine a heavy harness being strapped onto me and a hard bit biting into the corners of my mouth. And I want to buck and flail as hard as I can until I rip off all of that leather and metal. When my horse Stanley tries to throw me off, I don't even blame him. My dad says there might be something wrong with him and we've taken him to all these vets and trainers. But I think it's pointless. I get it. As a creature who embodies freedom, nothing feels worse than having someone on your back making you feel like you have to behave a certain way. And that's how I started feeling around Ricky last year. It was time to throw him off. I finally ended up doing it in the spring. I had really wanted to wait until the school year was over so I wouldn't have to have the last month feel awkward as I avoided him around school. But I just couldn't wait any longer. When I told him, he asked me a favor. Just don't date Dan, he said. Date anyone, date Chris. Just don't date Dan or you know the band's over and we can't be friends. So Dan and I had become friends over the spring. He's kind of a big dork and his friends are really dorky too. Sometimes he would decide to have his own costume dress up days even when it wasn't a spirit day at school. One day he was putting on the Ritz and wore a tux jacket with a box of Ritz crackers around his neck. And on the Ides of March, he wore a toga. Clearly he was weird and creative and didn't care what anyone thought of it. So basically exactly who I want to be around and who I want to be myself, if I could only be confident enough. Dan and his nerdy friends didn't make me feel weird and anxious like Ricky's friends did. But they were all seniors last year, and I was a junior. I had another entire year of high school to get through by myself. Completely by myself. Ugh. You know that smell at the end of summer? Like in August sometimes? Especially at night, when you get that little whiff of colder air that smells kind of like the fall. It gives me a panic attack. It means I'm no longer safe. In the summer, I can just be myself and not feel all weird around these high school people with their drama and their expectations. I had that panicky feeling at the end of last summer after having dumped Nick 
knowing I'd have to see him around school. But at least I had Ricky and his friends. This year, it felt even worse because now I just have enemies. Dan's off to college. Every hall I turn down, there could potentially be someone I dumped or the friends of someone I dumped or all the people I've never talked to who probably wonder what the hell is wrong with me for sitting alone at lunch as a senior. I don't have a band anymore. I've been kicked out of my tribe and left to wander the forest and fend for myself. Senior year is the worst year to be friendless. It's okay to be a little nobody freshman, but this is the year of prom and graduation, senior week and epic parties. All the stuff you're supposed to do with a group of friends. The stupid school keeps telling us how many precious memories we're supposed to make as seniors. The whole point is to bond with your forever friends who'll be at your wedding someday and probably your funeral too. If I had a funeral right now, there wouldn't even be anyone to invite. I wish I could just move to Sweden or something. So I had to focus on something to get through this crappy year and I figure I can just start looking forward to college. I'm going to go to UMass Lowell because they have a sound recording technology major and it's supposed to be one of the best places in the country to get a recording degree. Plus, my parents will pay for it since it's cheap. They said if I go to a fancy private school, I'll have to take out loans. I know sound recordings, an intense program. You have to do all the music major stuff, ear training and music theory and everything, and calculus, and engineering stuff on top of it. So this year, I'm taking a calculus class, and physics, and I took that music theory class with Dan last year. I thought about applying on bass, but I just don't think I know enough about jazz. I did play in the jazz band, but, well, okay, jazz band two, the not that good one. Mr. Miller just gave me sheet music and I played it. I didn't come up with the bass parts myself. So anyway, I'm working hard on cello, kind of for the first time since I started playing it. I don't have a band anymore, so this is all I've got. I have got to be good at this. <laughs> So my cello teacher is this guy, Jim. He's gay. I've always felt strange around feminine gay men, not because they're gay, like whatever, but for the same reason I feel weird around most girls and women. I feel expected to know how to communicate in this specific girly way I just don't understand. And so I end up just feeling like I have no idea how to talk or dress or do anything right and that it's obvious to them how defective I am. Jim's personality is just kind of weird in general, too. Sometimes he doesn't seem to be paying attention to me at all during our lessons. I started with him because he was Ricky's old cello teacher, and I'm not enough of a virtuoso for the $100 an hour ones. I was working on a bunch of Bach exercises and some Vivaldi with him, 
And then when I got the audition requirements for college in the mail, I brought them in. The suggested pieces were full solo concertos, stuff that Pablo Casals played. Jim looked at me and explained this stuff seemed more for his students who'd been playing since second grade and could play Haydn without sheet music. My stomach started feeling a little seasick. He asked if I was interested in other majors besides music. And the question made everything happening in my head grind to a halt. I had been working my butt off on cello all year. This was supposed to be it for me. My heart started pounding in my head. And then I felt a deep heaviness pulling my stomach towards the floor while I looked down. I thought about it for a second. I did really like science, and there were probably way more jobs than that. Majoring in music might be a bad idea, and I know I'm really still not that good at hearing notes by ear, so maybe I wouldn't even be able to pass the ear training test. I don't know. Plus, my dad really wanted to be a scientist or an engineer, but he never finished grad school because I was born. He's always talking about how great his sister is for being a genetic engineer. He used to give me those extra math and science books in elementary school to do, and I know I'd impress him if I became a scientist. Plus, I like animals. Uh, yeah, biology, I guess. Well, that sounds like a really good idea. I played my senior recital with Jim a little after that at the music school. I felt like I played that Vivaldi piece better and more emotionally than anything I had played in my life. I had always liked how the cello sounded, but had never felt good enough to really love playing it. But then I felt like my pain of being a failed musician was coming through every note Vivaldi had written. My wrist seemed to glide in the exact way I had wished it would for years. When I switched from going up to down with my bow, there wasn't a scratch. It was like one continuous note flowing. Maybe it was also because it just didn't matter anymore, so I had no reason to be nervous. I knew I would not be a musician anymore. It was too painful to love something this much and not be good enough at it. I'd have to quit forever. This is my swan song, I thought. People looked sad when I looked up from the music. The MC hadn't heard the news and she announced to the audience that I would be going to school for music recording. Jim winked at me and handed me a weird peppery smelling plant as a parting gift. I breathed in as hard as I could to try not to cry when I took my bow, and then I walked over to my parents. This whole year has been hell. Of course, lunch is the worst part. 
Since I live so close to school, I can time my walk so that I get in the door right before the bell rings and leave as soon as my last class ends, so I don't have to hang around the halls like the people who take buses. But at lunch, I am trapped. I had an idea one day that maybe I could just practice cello extra. And that would have worked at a normal school, but we have military rules here. I got to the lunchroom as fast as I could and ate my gross sandwich in two bites and then went up to the lunchroom chaperone and asked if I could go to the music room to practice cello. She said, no, students aren't allowed to be in the halls during lunch. Seniors at other high schools actually get to go outside for lunch or even like drive to McDonald's or something. Not in this stinking prison. So every day, it's just like freshman year. I am the biggest no one. I spend as many minutes as possible in the bathroom, and then I try to sit at the edge of a table with the fewest people at it as possible. Sometimes I'll even sit facing outwards so that I don't look like I'm associating with whoever happens to be sitting there. I meet unusual people this way occasionally. There's this kid who's really short, but he's a bodybuilder and he has these giant arms. We had lunch a few times. Then I went over to his house and he showed me this weird tent in his backyard. I thought he was going to try to make out with me in there, but he didn't. We went back in his house, and he introduced me to his dad, this bald guy shuffling around in slippers and pajama pants. Then my friend said his dad was going to become a woman soon. He said it right in front of him. I had no idea what to say besides, oh. I also met the awkward kid I ended up going to prom with that way. He was in my movie-making class. Unfortunately, so was Ricky and some popular kids he was friends with. So I desperately needed someone to talk to. Tucker was always super nice to me, but he was constantly quoting movies and he didn't respond to stuff like a normal person. I couldn't actually tell the difference when he was quoting something or just talking as himself. Prom was weird. I didn't originally want to go at all, I talked about it with Dan. We decided it was stupid and for the idiot popular people, but then I really kind of wanted a prom dress. And my mom took me dress shopping, even though I still didn't think I wanted to go. But when I put on this one red dress, I never wanted to take it off. I had lost a lot of weight this year, Probably from being so nervous at lunch I can barely eat and having dinner at Dan's parents every night. His mom cooks actual meals with vegetables instead of eating takeout with my parents. And I've been taking aerobics for gym class. When I put on that dress, I felt hot, like in a girl way. The back was completely open all the way down to the butt. I think it's the first time I've ever felt like I don't know, feminine and not hated it. I usually despise dresses, both how they feel and how I look in them. But now that I had found something that made me feel so good about myself, I knew I needed to go to the prom. So I asked Tucker to go with me. Dan got really mad. 
He said he couldn't believe I was going with that oaf. I said that was mean, but I got it. I mean, Tucker's a big kid, like 6'5", and something about him is kind of off. Not in a bad way, just like socially weird, which I can relate to, so I don't mind at all. I know he gets made fun of. And some popular boy I didn't even know asked me why I was hanging out with him. He wondered if we were dating. No, I said he's my friend. And I gave him a face like he was being an asshole because he was. Great. God, I hope Tucker wouldn't try to make a move on me at the prom in front of everyone. He didn't. I actually sat with Colby and her friends at a table. They were all drama club kids. Tucker was too. I know I looked hot in the dress. A lot of people looked at me and a bunch of the girls came up to compliment it. Popular girls. I had my hair done up in a French twist at a salon and I put on some super deep red lipstick that matched the exact color of the dress. If only I had a date who I wasn't actively trying to avoid physical contact with, or, you know, like a group of friends. I wasn't totally alone, but I still had that feeling that I didn't fit with the people around me. Like, as good as I might have looked, I was still with the oaf and the drama club nerds. I was fine with them. They were all nice and goofy and dorky like me, but I knew they weren't my people. I couldn't 100% relax with them, especially with all these stupid popular people walking by and looking at us. Graduation was the absolute worst. Of course, I skipped all the fun senior events, but I had to go to the ceremony so my family could take their precious pictures. The worst part of all was before it started. I had to be there like four hours early with all the other seniors for absolutely no reason. The vice principal yelled at us about a hundred times to make sure we knew where we would be standing in line and how to shake hands and how to pick up the diploma. But other than that, we just stood around in the gym while everyone else was taking cutesy forever friends pictures with their clicks. I just kind of wandered around trying to look like I was looking for someone. Maybe there'd be someone I forgot I was friends with years ago and we could reconnect. Nope, just the same old kids I felt either too cool or not cool enough for. Then I saw Nick. Then I saw Ricky. Then I saw all Ricky's friends. I tried to triangulate the corner of the gym as far from both of them as possible. And then I just stayed there. I tried not to cry. Then I tried not to throw up. Then, I tried to breathe. One night after graduation, I was just hanging out at home with Dan. We were sitting on the carpet in my room, trading off playing my bass. 
I played a Pixie song. Then I handed it to Dan, and he played some really hard part of a Beatles song. I didn't realize Beatles songs were hard, but he was doing all these fills really quickly over this walking line and talking about the chord changes and how clever they were. I started thinking about how I'd never be a good enough musician to go to music school. I didn't know as many chords as Dan and couldn't do all this jazzy stuff on the bass. And even though I thought I was good enough at cello, now I know I'm nowhere near good enough. He passed the bass back to me and I felt like I couldn't play a note. Like suddenly my brain and hands had no idea how to even play the most basic riff even the ones I had written myself. I just plonked at it like a little kid who doesn't know how to hold down the strings hard enough to fret them. My head started drooping towards my chest. Then I thought about how I truly have no friends to spend this summer before college with, and no band either. The steam feeling I hadn't felt in a while started rising in me hotter than ever. My head started hurting really bad, and my vision started to sort of flicker out as I thought over and over about how I can't create anything or connect with other people, and how I'm a waste of human life because those are the two most important things about being a person. I thought the sentence, I am the worst bass player who's ever lived. Then, I am not a musician, I am a fake. Then, I am nothing. Useless. I don't even exist. It was like someone was reading these sentences in my head more than me making them happen. Like God was telling me inside my head, and I knew it was true. He knew I was a mistake who shouldn't exist and that I should just give up. The voice of God or whatever it was got louder, and my sense of my body sitting on the carpet started slipping away. I saw a black hole sitting right in front of me. I knew if I let myself tip forward into it, I might not come back out, but that if I tried really hard, I could lean away from it and pull myself out. It felt like maybe I could stop existing and stop feeling this pain if I went in there. I'd just let go of all control and see what my body would do. I decided to let myself fall forward into the black. And my vision of what was going on around me cut out immediately. Instead, it was replaced by what was kind of like a movie, but from my point of view. It was like a dream because the room looked different, like when you dream about being in your house, but everything's all weird. I wasn't sure if I was awake anymore. But I got up, or maybe I dreamed I was getting up, and I walked downstairs to the kitchen, and I took the biggest knife out of the kitchen drawer. Or did I? I had no idea if it was happening or not. So I started screaming and asking Dan if I was upstairs or downstairs. My mom came running in, and I told her I was going to kill myself with this knife I had in my hand. What knife, she asked. I couldn't tell if I really had it in my hand or not. I could simultaneously feel the kitchen floor under my feet and the knife in my hand, and still somehow the carpet under my legs in my room. 
it was impossible to tell what was actually real. My heart was beating so hard it was hurting, and the pain in my head made me feel like I could throw up. I screamed more and more, pleading Dan and my mom to not let me do it, telling them I was going to do it and I didn't think I could stop it because I didn't have any control over any of my senses. I screamed and screamed and screamed. I had no idea how much time went by, but soon my dad was there holding all my limbs, like nurses do in the movies when someone's having a psychotic episode. He is a nurse, I thought. Eventually, I came down from it, and all three of us were in the bathroom for some reason. My mom must have sent Dan home. My vision and senses came back, but I was shaking. I was so scared that it could happen again at any moment. My dad asked me if I heard voices. I said no, because I think the voice I heard came from inside me. I didn't really think it was God. It just felt like someone else. I know there are people with schizophrenia on both sides of my family, so he had to ask me. I tried to explain that no, I wasn't crazy. Something just happened to me. I started crying and telling them I didn't feel very good. Did mom and dad do anything wrong, they asked me. Well, I said, dad didn't really hug me or kiss me or tell me he loved me, especially when I was little. He said, well, I don't want to be one of those mushy, sappy dads. I laughed, and it pushed another tear out. Dear Young Rocker, you just had your first panic attack. And like many firsts, it was the most intense one you will ever have. I promise you'll never have another one quite like this. Because next time you see that black hole open up in front of you, you won't relinquish control to it. You will fight it, and you will do all the things to help you move in the other direction. The biggest thing you will learn is to accept that panic attacks are like waves. They start off small, then get bigger and bigger. They peak at some point, and then they get sucked back into the ocean. They never last forever. For you, they're only really bad for about 20 minutes. So next time you can say to yourself, I'll be okay in 20 minutes. I just have to breathe as deeply as I can for now and do my best to try and believe I am safe and that my body will be fine. Eventually, you will be able to have a panic attack in the middle of a meeting or in a business phone call. And besides maybe saying some stuff that doesn't super make sense, no one will ever even notice and you can go on with your day. I'm sorry you have to go through this, but you are able to do it and you are strong and will get even stronger from it. You'll get to the point I'm at a lot by yourself in your own experimentation, but I'm sure it would have been a lot easier if you had found a good therapist to help you along. That's who you should be talking to this stuff about, kid. Now, let's talk about what triggered it. If you look, you will always be able to find that person who tells you that you aren't 
good enough. I wish I could extinguish them all from the earth, but unfortunately, they will always be there. And smart, creative people like you will always be able to find reasons why you shouldn't or can't do the thing you want to do. Imagination is both a blessing and a curse. So unless you are the grand champion gold medal world record holder of whatever it is you're trying to do, which 99.99999% of us are not, then of course there will be that kid who's better, or at least thinks they are. But that is not a reason to not try. No one starts out as the best. And you know what? Being the supposed best isn't that great anyway, because even the world's best can find ways to criticize themselves. Yo-Yo Ma, known as one of the world's best living cellists, has been overheard berating himself with horrible mean language for performances that moved hundreds of people to tears with beauty. So what I'm saying is you can't look for the reasons not to, the reasons you aren't good enough because you will always be able to find those and they will just shut you down over and over and over. Just like you thought you weren't dressed cool enough or had enough entertaining stuff to say to sit with the kids you thought were popular at lunch. And how you quit karate and gymnastics and doing horse riding shows because you always saw other kids winning medals. Those kids probably didn't have any other hobbies, and their parents might have been unfairly pushing them, too. But what I'm saying is that none of that is a reason not to try. The only thing that should make you decide whether you want to do something or not do something is whether you want to do it. Whether you think doing it will make you feel good or accomplished or help you express yourself. If you want to feel bad about yourself, if you want to find reasons not to do something, you will always be able to find people or things that will agree with that negative opinion. And you might have your eyes and ears closed to the people around you who actually support you in doing the thing you want to do. The negative voices always seem louder and more important, but they aren't. And I know, I know, your anxiety plays into this. When Jim asks you if you had other ideas for a major, you had the classic, anxious, super sped up moment where you felt like you had to have all the answers right now. So you said, biology. If you had really slowed down and said, like, I have to think about all this, you might have eventually decided to keep on the same path. And maybe that Jim doesn't know everything. Because as it turns out, he was wrong as wrong can be. Your cello playing was absolutely good enough for the UMass Lowell Orchestra, if not better than most there. Whoever created those suggested audition pieces was full of crap. Just like you'll learn about job ads someday. The requirements section is usually a wish list for a perfect person who may or may not actually exist. They aren't something to make you feel bad about yourself. Although that's a lesson I need to keep telling myself, but I have friends to help me with that. Remember, 
Anxiety speeds you up. Slow yourself down. I know you don't have a support system or don't think you have one at least to say, hey, you can do whatever makes you happy. You like recording music? Then go record music. You can figure it out. As much as you aren't a group of friends person, which again is totally fine, you still need support outside of the negative adults in your life. I understand why you felt so isolated this year with all the ex-boyfriends running around. You felt guilty and ashamed. Well, you shouldn't first of all. They like forced you to date them. And second of all, I bet you would be absolutely amazed to know how many of your classmates feel just like you, who feel like this is just a waste for them and that they want to just graduate without a ceremony and never look back. There are others who feel like the cafeteria is a war zone and want to take cover out of sight under a large rock. I'm sure the stupid strict rules about not being able to leave the cafeteria during lunch make a lot of other students feel pretty anxious too. And I'm sure there are others who feel like their only true deep connection is with music or art and that they have no one to share that with or that their parents' expectations are ruining their lives. They were all around you, I am sure of it. Even if from the outside, they looked fine. Maybe they even looked popular and perfect to you. We are all responsible for creating our own hell on earth. To a point. Of course, I'm not saying someone dealing with issues resulting from trauma or abuse is responsible for feeling bad. I just mean, no matter what we've been through or are going through, we are the only ones who can actively change our state of mind as much as other people can help or hurt. You can choose the words and images in your mind that describe your life to yourself. If you see and feel the words lonely, depressed, stuck, isolated, angry, over and over and over, that is what will manifest for you because you will be ignoring the potential ways out of that. It's easy to blame others, especially your parents or exes for setting you up for failure. But the truth of life that we have to face to become adults is that no matter what someone else did to make you feel bad, it is always your responsibility to find a way to feel better. Sitting there blaming and getting angry at people will never ever remove you from those feelings as bad and awful and deserving of blame and anger as those people are. After someone breaks you down, it is always your responsibility to build yourself back up. No one can fix you after you've been broken but yourself. The switch is inside you, not outside. Even the most perfect, loving, romantic partner cannot do that for you. They can only support you while you do it for yourself. I'm sorry, but the quicker you learn this and accept it, the quicker you'll grow away from the pain in your past. So, I know graduating alone was hard. Part of that was that you've been indoctrinated with these images from high school movies and your teachers about how perfect and amazing and the pinnacle of your life senior year is. They suck. It's not. 
you have a lot more life to live. Many more chances to make friends and really live. High school isn't the end, kid. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, we'll actually take a break from young Chelsea's story and hear from some other rockers about their own adolescence and how they got started in music, as well as what they'd say to their younger selves. Dear Young Rocker was created and written by me, Chelsea Erson, is executive produced by Jake Brennan, and comes to you from Double Elvis Productions. I also wrote the theme song, and in this episode, I did most of the sound design, scoring, and audio engineering, with some help from Jack Pombriant, who made that sweet prom music, and Sean Cahalan, who's always going out of his way to help me. Thank you again to all the nice people who sent me amazing reviews and their own memories and pictures. I'm already having trouble keeping up with how sweet you all are, but please keep it coming and please, please share those nice words, either in an Apple podcast review or on your social media, or just tell the people in your book club or your band or your bowling league or the other PTA moms about Dear Young Rocker. I really want this message to reach as many people, especially young people, as possible. Thank you, thank you. If you've been doing that already, you rock. Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.